I have a song that I think most of you, hopefully everyone has a copy. Do you, does everyone have a copy of this song where you or can share to? Uh, this is where I got this idea for the sermon, actually. Uh, in verse, uh, let's see, which verse is it? We'll sing this in a bit. The second verse uh, ends with, and an heaven's, heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. And, and I wondered, where, where did the songwriter get that? And then some, sometime later, I, I read Psalm 85 and noticed it. But I thought we'd try to sing this song. And think about this. This song talks about truth and mercy and grace and justice. And, uh, and then it describes... It describes these things in terms of, of water, like an ocean or a mighty stream or a flood, those, those kind of ways. It says how abundant God is in his mercy and grace and justice. So let's try to sing it. Why don't we just all sing the melody in the first two verses? It's a very simple melody. I, I found that this song was very, it's a very old song. It was written back in about Civil War time. Uh, yes, or a little after, and then it was uh, it was kind of the theme song for the, the there was some quite a revival m movement in in Wales back in the early 1900s, and this was a very popular song at that time. So I'll try to lead it. Y'all just join in. But let's sing. I'll sing the melody on the first two verses, and then you can go into parts if you like. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide, through the flood gates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice Kissed a guilty world in love. Let me all thy love accepting, love thee ever all my days. Let me seek thy kingdom only, and my life be to thy praise. Thou alone shall be my glory, nothing in this world I see, 
Thou hast cleansed and sanctified me. Thou thyself hast set me free. In thy truth thou dost direct me by thy spirit through thy word and thy grace my need is meeting as i trust in thee my lord of thy fullness thou art pouring thy great love and power on me without me sure full and boundless drawing out my heart to thee I titled this sermon the holy kiss and uh, thought of if I would have given you the title without any introduction, you would have thought this would be about the, the Christian salutation that's commanded five times in the Bible, in the New Testament. That's something to think about. Uh, greet each other with a holy kiss, the Bible says several times. And so, But that's not really our subject, but uh, it's something we should think about if the Bible commands it. Uh, that many times, it's uh, something we should express to one another, I think. Well, mercy and truth uh, are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I'd like to read Psalm 85. And uh, just, just think about... Uh, First several verses, it says, uh, there's the, term, the phrase, thou hast. No, notice the things that God has done for us. And there's the word turn that uh, is used, used at least twice. There's a qu the question, wilt thou, uh, which is uh, used several times. And verse 11 is a very beautiful verse. Uh, verses 10 and 11, both kind of a, what do you call it, a word picture of uh, a personification of, of mercy and truth meeting together, righteousness and peace, kiss, kissing, kissing each other. And the verse 11 is, talks about uh, truth springing up out of the earth and righteousness looking down from heaven and, and uh, what I'm going to suggest why we understand this is that the truth that's bringing us, us um, bringing up from the earth is the it would be like the, the good works of believers like beautiful flowers coming up out of the earth and then God's righteousness looking down be like God's rainbow of blessing uh, down on on onto the earth from heaven. Okay, Psalm 85. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. 
Thou hast covered all their, their sin, Selah. Stop and think about that, all that God has done. Um, stop and meditate. Understand this word, Selah, to mean. Or it could mean uh, let the people stop singing and the instruments play while the people think or repeat these things. Thou hast been favored to thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered thy sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again? Wilt thou not that excuse me, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, grant us thy salvation. I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let not them turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Another thing I'm going to suggest this morning is that, that Jesus is the one, uh, God the Father too, but in, in a very, very evident way, Jesus is the one uh, that we can look to where mercy and truth are met together and righteousness and peace have kissed each other in the wonderful person of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, the setting of this psalm, uh, scholars think that David probably wrote this psalm, some debate whether it was David or someone else, during a time when uh, Israel was, had been oppressed by the Philistines. Others think maybe it was written later when they were coming back from ex exile. But um, in the Old Testament, Maybe we notice truth and justice and righteousness more than grace and mercy and peace. And in the Old Testament, God disciplined his people and punished them for their sins because they had strayed from righteousness and right, right living. But God was, again and again, was merciful to them and gave them mercy and peace after, after their many troubles. But uh, mercy and peace and grace were evident in the Old Testament. We even see it in the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the Ten Commandments were uh, stored in the bottom part, understand. And above that was the mercy seat that was sprinkled once a year with blood to atone for sin. And so we, there you have 
justice and law, but then you have the mercy of God and forgiveness. And um, so this psalm is about God's mercy and peace, and also it's about his righteousness and his truth. And see, in some ways that could almost seem like they oppose each other, mercy as opposed to the truth and righteousness as opposed to peace, but not really. Here it says they're met together, they've kissed one another. And so um, God, God has this, these, in his holy, wonderful character, he has these things in a perfect, uh, how would you say, a holy balance, where he is both justice and he's, and he's also has mercy. And he has righteousness and he gives peace. So David here, if, if David is a psalmist, he's praying for his people. And I notice that he pray, he uses plural language when he prays, and we, we often should pray that. We, we should pay, pray personally for our own needs, but we should also be aware that we're something much larger than just ourselves. And uh, so David prays not just for himself, but he prays for others, his, his people, all of God's people. And have you noticed that Moses and Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and all the prophets prayed that way too? I especially think of, of Daniel's prayer, that how he prayed and confessed sin. <laughs> a man who, according to the biblical record, lived a, a very godly life, but he prayed with his people, for his people, identified himself with the people, and not just for himself. We live in a different day. We live in the New Testament, and now God is not building a, a, a physical, geographical nation, but God is building a spiritual kingdom. He's building his church. I don't claim to understand what God is doing in the future of Israel, but God, we know that God is building a, in the nation Israel, I'm saying, that God is build, building a spiritual kingdom from every tribe and nation. The point I was trying to make here is that we don't live before God only as an individual. We live as uh, we live in God's kingdom as Christians, and we should have a, a concern and a sense of responsibility for for all those who have entered or are entering into God's kingdom. David didn't just pray for Jerusalem; or he prayed for the whole nation. And uh, we should not just pray for ourselves personally. And not just for our families, and not only for the local church, we should pray for, for all these, all of ours, but we should pray for all of God's people. Okay, let's notice what God has done for, for Israel in the six thou hast. And he's done this for us too. Thou hast been favorable unto thy land, Thou hast brought us back from captivity. Thou hast forgiven the, the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all our sins, all their sins. Thou hast taken away thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Stop and think about these things that God has done. Meditate on these things.
He's been favorable to us. He's brought us out of uh, we're captives of, enslaved to Satan and to our own selfish desires. God has been favorable to us in delivering us. Thou hast forgiven all our sins. He has covered our sins. As the Bible say, he, he's cast them into the sea. He has covered our sins under the sea of, a, of Christ's atonement. Thou hast taken thy wrath. Thou hast turned uh, from your fierce anger. We, the Bible says that we were, we were once under the wrath of God and now we're at peace with him. And I'm just thinking about how many sins in this room, just in this room, how many sins has God forgiven? I don't know, all our sins. How many sins has God covered? How many of us are no longer under God's wrath but feel uh, God's peace? We have so much to be thankful for, for God of mercy. Let's think about Israel's history in the time of the judges and the kings. They would, they would serve God for a while and then they would forget and then they would be, become busy with getting wealthy and caring for their, their herds and their lands and their vineyards and they would get indifferent towards God and sometimes they would, would rebel, they would oppose God in a, a knowing way and then God would be angry with them and punish them and discipline them again and he would send drought and plague and oppressors and then in their distress, they would cry out to God again for mercy. And God would re respond in, with deliverance and forgiveness. And this, this cycle recurred many times, it seems. They didn't live righteously. They failed to live according to truth. They were guilty. And they experienced God's wrath. And when there was, they lived unrighteously and not according to truth, there was no peace and no mercy. And but they prayed. Then they prayed in their distress, and God turned from his fierceness of his wrath. So that cycle happened again and again. But uh, there is a verse later here that, that says, Let them not turn again to folly. <laughs> why why would someone turn back to the folly, just the, the suffering the, the unrest and the lack of peace that a sinful life gives, also returning under the discipline of God. Why would anyone turn back? But we know that we can, we can flag and we can, we can faint and we can fall and fail. We, there, there, there's that downward pull that pulls us. But we can pray that God would keep us from turning back. Here's the verse that says, um, well, uh, verse 4, Turn us, O God, of our salvation. Cause thine anger toward us to cease. We need God's help in turning. It's like David was praying, Lord, I need your help to turn away from my indifference and my sin. Please, Lord, the source of life, revive me. Give me your life again. Please give me your mercy. Mercy. I'm eager now to hear, hear and obey your voice. 
whatever you will speak to me, I'm willing to hear and obey the truth. Verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. To to be eager and attentive and to to hear God's voice and to obey him. Lord, help me turn. Help me turn around. Leave my sin. Forgive me and revive me. And now I hear you. I'm willing to hear you. Show me your mercy. And God, when God hears the penitent pray, he does give mercy and forgiveness. And he turns his wrath away to all who repent. Uh, justice demands that every sinner should die. But God in his mercy desires that sinners don't uh, should not die. Here's a verse from Ezekiel. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Will you die, people of Israel? God, the God of justice calls out to all of us, turn, turn, I will help you turn. I will hear. I will forgive, I will cover your sins, I will restore, and I will revive. And I will enable you not to turn back to your folly. That's our God. The God of mercy meets us when we repent. He looks, he looks at us in our misery, and then he covers our sin, and he covers our shame, and he covers us in the robe of Christ's righteousness. And he will revive us again. And fill fill each heart with his love and rekindle each soul with fire from above. Hallelujah. Thine be the glory. There's a verse here that says something about glory, I think. Someone notice where it says uh, something about glory. Verse 9. Surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him that glory may dwell in the land. Father, referring to the Shekinah glory that was uh, the evidence of God's presence in the temple and God showed it in different ways to the children of Israel. Okay, I already talked about the folly. I have a few more thoughts about people uh, turning back to the their folly. Let them not, verse 8, let them not return to their folly. And I said that Israel so often fell back. They slipped back into the old way. Their affection cooled. They went back to embracing old lovers and kneeling before the old idols. And then, then, then they experienced God's wrath. And there was no peace for the wicked. And uh, why? Why did they turn back to their folly, to their old ways? But that's, that's the way sin works and fools. Let us not return to the old folly. Now the, the word turn. turn. He talks about God turning from his wrath here in this psalm. 
and then a prayer for God to turn us from our salvation, turn, turn back to God, turn us, O God of our salvation, and let us not turn again to folly. Now let, let's think about the, the holy kiss in verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Where has this holy kiss taken place? I'm going to suggest that in, in God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Righteous God, who established his holy law that condemned the, the whole world to die, but God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Truth and mercy are met together in God our Heavenly Father. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other in him. This, this, this holy kiss is also evident, evident in Jesus Christ. He has come from the Father into this world. John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory full of truth and grace. Jesus was the one who went about this in this world uh, living a sinful life, uh, uh, teaching the truth. His life was the very personification of truth and yet he was always giving grace, always giving people what they did, didn't deserve in his compassion. He, was, he is full of truth and grace. And uh, Jesus never, never compromised truth. And he was always gracious. We, we see, many times we see that in Jesus' life. His, his truth and his grace. We see it when he called Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus, who was a thief, a tax-collecting thief. He called him out of the tree, said, I'm going to your house. And then uh, Zacchaeus was a changed man. He had great, Jesus had great compassion on sinners, and then he changed them to live after the truth. We see this wonderful mix of truth and righteousness and mercy and peace when Jesus, when, when the Pharisees brought the adulterous woman to Jesus. And... Uh, he, he told them, if any of you are free from this sin, throw, cast the first stone. And they all left. And Jesus turned to the woman and said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He, 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 forgave, he forgave her sin, and he told her to go and live according to the truth. Over and over and always and always, we see in Jesus mercy and truth and righteousness and peace. Another place this holy kiss takes place is in the heart and the life of the Christian. Uh, though we were one time in sin and in darkness and were deceitful and selfish and hurtful to our fellow, fellow man and were living in unrest and under the wrath of God, God made a way for us to repent and turn to him and turn to Christ and turn away from our sins. And in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins and revived and given spiritual life. Born again through Jesus Christ by the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. So in our lives, God wants mercy and truth 
to be there and he wants righteousness and peace to kiss each other right in our human soul. It's only possible through Jesus Christ when we're born again by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. And we love the Word of God. And he puts the Word of truth right in our hearts to live by and empowers us to live a life of righteousness and peace and mercy and truth and harmony. So in the heart of the believer, there's to be the softness of compassion and mercy and the firmness of what is right and true. Mercy and truth are not opposed to each other. One can, not one canceling out the other, but harmonious companions. Then we have this beautiful picture in verse 11 where it says that truth shall spring out of the earth. That's when when people have really gotten right with God and become believers and been saved and born again. Uh, truth shall spring out of the earth, the, the righteous, good living of people following Jesus Christ. And God's righteousness shall look down from heaven. This is a quote from the pulpit commentary. The earth shall be carpeted with the flowers of the good works of God's people, and it should be canopied over by the rainbow of righteousness of God from above, from God from above. Picture of God and uh, the, the believer living in harmony and working together. The good fruit of saved men and women rising up out of the earth and the beautiful showers of God's blessings from above. And then verse Verse 12, God will uh, give what is good and our land shall yield increases. Shall yield increase. And verse 13, righteousness shall go before him and shall set, his, set us in the way of his steps. That would be talking about Jesus Christ, righteousness going before us and showing us where to step. You probably remember the, the, the Christmas carol of the good king, Wenceslas. Do any of you remember that song, interesting song? And I, I read that the, this was, he was a, he actually was a duke, they somehow got changed to a king. He was a duke in Wence, Duke Wenceslas, and this was in the 10th century. The Catholics now call him a, a saint. But uh, the way the story goes, that the Duke was in the palace on a wintry, a wintry day, a bitter, cold day, and he looked out the window and saw a peasant struggling to collect wood on the, in the winter landscape. And so he sent out his page to, to find out what the problem was. And the, the page returned and said that the poor man had no wood and no food. And so... Uh, King Wenceslas resolved to go out to help the poor man. And so he took fuel and food and wine, and the page had gotten the man's address, and so they struggled through the snow to go to the man's house. And the page was about to give up in the bitter cold, but the, 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 good, the good king said that he should walk in his footsteps. And uh, so 
the, the page managed to follow the footsteps and they made it to their destination. Catholics say that, that the page, the footsteps were warmed as he walked. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know if that's the way it really was or not, but at least he, he walked in his king's footsteps and they made the journey. Maybe that's a little bit like following Jesus Christ and walking in his footsteps. And he gives us grace to, um, to live according to righteousness and truth and live with graciousness and mercy in our hearts. Jesus is to us uh, the one, we have his wonderful example and we have his wonderful teaching, and we have his foot footprints to follow. God is a God of justice and grace. His, his character includes mercy and truth and righteousness and peace. And Jesus Christ gloriously displays these attributes to us. He is full of truth and grace. And we, too, can experience uh, mercy and truth uh, meeting in our hearts, righteousness and, and uh, peace kissing each other in our very soul. The path that leads there is one of repentance and revival, confessing our need and experiencing God being favorable to us and releasing us from our captivity, and forgiving our sins, and taking away his wrath from us, and turning us to him, and uh, reviving us, and giving us life. He makes us brand new after he forgives us. And then he, he will enable us to be fruitful. The good fruits of truth springing up from you, and this church and all believers uh, springing up as a beautiful uh, carpet of flowers on the earth and God's blessings will come down are coming down from above. Jesus walks before us in all his righteousness 